I don't know if compartmentalize is the correct word, but I just took it a step at a time. And I honestly never thought, why me? I just had this, I was like, I'm going to survive. I'm going to fight this. And that was always my attitude. UC Health presents the Every Podcast series. We're taking our signature health and wellness event celebrating all women and breaking it down into episodes where we'll speak with special guests and top experts on issues including insomnia, stress, relationships, life changes, and how to balance it all. Hosted by me, Gloria Neal. I'm a former news anchor and reporter and currently director of public affairs in the city of Denver. We're here to help you live your best life physically and emotionally. The American Psychological Association defines mental resilience as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or even significant sources of stress. When Pamela, who we just heard from, found out in early 2007 that she had cervical cancer, her response was to gather as much information as possible by arming herself with the facts she was able to feel in control and prepare for any challenges, including the worst-case scenarios. Dr. Michelle Barron, the Senior Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control for UC Health, has also come up against big challenges, which she has faced with determination and optimism. As one of the key people in charge of the pandemic for UC Health, Dr. Barron has been at the epicenter of the COVID storm. Not only did it not overwhelm her, she has become the poster woman for resilience and hope. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, such a pleasure. So before you tell us how you took on COVID, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you took on yourself. <laughs> How much time do we have? You know, take your time. (laughs) I grew up in Texas, and people would be surprised by this, but I was very much a tomboy. I had a younger brother who's less than a year younger than me, and my cousin who lived next door, who's also a boy. And (laughs) I was just one of the boys. So we were always looking for snakes and lizards and things to terrify my sister. (laughs) Uh, Shot BB guns. It was... um, It was actually a really good life. I have to say that growing up was, I look back on it very fondly. And so that evolved into wanting to be a doctor? I wanted to be a doctor since I was four. I actually have no idea why. It just suddenly came to me that I was going to be a doctor or a ballerina or both because I doubt (laughs) you could do both at the time. And it just never left. There's no medical people in my family at all. So my parents always would just sort of humor me and say, okay, sure, you want to be a doctor. That sounds wonderful. And then when I actually went to college and told them I'm going to be a doctor, they said, you know, you don't have to if you don't want to. Like, if you you want to do something else, it's okay with us. Like, you don't have to do this unless you really truly do want to. Wow. I think it was a calling. I don't really can't explain it other than... It was what I was meant to do. So in the 90s, we're talking the HIV epidemic. I mean, that was at the beginning of all of that. How did you fare in that lane? That's how I ended up where I am. Because as a medical student, most of the patients I was taking care of had advanced AIDS. And it was really terrifying for the patient 
And on my end, I kept thinking, what can I do different for them? How does the immune system work? And why are they getting this terrible infections related to the lack of immunity? Mm-hmm. And I found it fascinating. And also the other, the human side of that, you know, patients wouldn't tell their families. It was just shameful for them to be able to say, I have AIDS. And so we would say they had cancer and some of them did, but it was related to AIDS. Oh, wow. And just seeing that just human nature and how hard it can be for people. I just felt like this is what I got to do with my life. I'm going to work with this population. I'm going to work with infections. And I was going to cure AIDS in my brain. I actually have patients I've been taking care of 20 plus years and with HIV and they live normal lives. And we talk about, you know, what they're doing and their gardens. And HIV is kind of secondary in the game. And we talk more about heart disease and diabetes and just getting older. I have several patients in their 70s. You think about all that. And they say resilience isn't a trait that people are born with, but they have to learn it over time. It becomes like this muscle. It takes intentionality to build it. Given how you describe your upbringing and your determination, it sounds like you learned that, that resilience from an early age. I did. And that has a lot to do with my mother. My mother is kind of a no-nonsense person. And we would cry because we lost our toy or we fell. And she would just look at us and say, you cannot cry. What did you do that caused this to happen? What can you do different? And learn from it. Move on. She would not let us dwell on things. And really, that was kind of a life lesson that I think I keep with me, where I pause when I'm having those moments and say, could I have done something different? Or was this beyond my control? And then I let it go and move on. My mother was very similar to your mother, kind of like that drill sergeant. (laughs) (laughs) Although, on the flip side, she's someone who makes you stop and say, look at the clouds. Look how pretty the sky is. Look at that flower. I joke with people. I said, my mother only sees the world in color. (laughs) And I think that's also to balance out the sort of, you know, get over it. There's that sense of always looking at beauty and always looking at the bright side of things that I think kind of that combination actually works in, in amazing ways. We got to have all types in the world. (laughs) Yeah, this is true. Michelle, when we talk about this last year, we talk about the resiliency muscle. Is there a way to reset that? We're in a new year. We're not totally out of the woods yet, but, you know, we can see the light. How do we reset that resiliency muscle? With time, obviously. Mm -hmm. Take in those experiences. Again, let go of what you can't control. Look forward to what you can change and keep moving forward. I think about Pamela. I think about where she was. I think attitude gets you there, right? That whole attitude, I want to learn. I want to understand this disease because I'm going to beat it. And that is exactly what Pamela, who we heard from at the beginning, said about her response to cancer, that diagnosis. It's the control what you can control and let go of the rest attitude that gets us that peace. That's exactly right. And it's hard sometimes, I think, to have sort of that acceptance that you can control certain things, you can't control certain things, and you got to keep moving forward. Otherwise, you're still sort of circling around the things that you're never going to be able to change. Let's bring it back to the pandemic. 
Not being in control. You hear so many people who've talked about their vaccine hesitant or they don't trust this or they don't trust that. They were not in control. They're not wearing masks. They're not getting the shot. They don't care about the science. And I mean, the list goes on and on. It must have been really, really hard to stay hopeful when so many of us sounded like spoiled brats. That's Gloria talking, (laughs) not you, doctor. But I just, I'm like, really? How did you get through those moments? And as we continue. I, again, can understand where people were coming from. Working in the medical field, I have the beauty of being able to go home. And my day could be terrible, but I can turn it off and go home and live my other life that I'm not a doctor. I'm just, you know, another person, a wife, owner of a dog, (laughs) (laughs) those kind of things where I'm just one of the neighbors walking the dog. This reached all levels of everyone's life. This was not limited to just what I do. This hit everyone in some way, whether it was from individuals becoming ill or family or friends or not being able to go to work, worrying about financial stability. This was overwhelming and kids not going to school. And then there was so much information and so little information, so much we knew, so much we didn't know. It changed every day. I could see how people would go crazy. We tell you one thing one day, the next day we tell you something completely different. I could completely understand why people would question and be skeptical. I was skeptical. At the end of the day, what got me through things is in we all have our truths. And for me, science is my truth. This is what I do. This is what I've trained for. Some of my training has prepared me, not on this scale. This was definitely beyond anything I've ever dealt with. I will say I wasn't fully equipped with all the tools that I needed. And certainly when you're under stress for long periods of time and there are so many unknowns and there's no out. It's not like I went home and suddenly wasn't thinking about it because I was. I was worried about my family. I was worried about my loved ones contracting the virus. I stopped sleeping and finally came to a point where I realized this is taking a true impact on my mental health and I can get through things. And I realized maybe I really can't. And it was one of those moments where I've always recommended people getting help if they need it, but I've never realized I needed it until we did an exercise with our executive team. And it was a simple exercise. It was just, imagine you're a car, you've got a gas tank. Is it full? Is it empty? Simple, right? And I sat there and just kept thinking about this. And I was like, I'm empty. Oh, my God, I'm not even empty. I'm on fumes. (laughs) And then I just started bawling. And I'm in front of my team. And I just thought, oh, my God, if I'm losing it, they're going to have a heart attack. And I was met with such compassion. And I also realized it was important that they could see that. That's right. Because, again, it made me human, and it made them okay to be able to say things, too. And, that's right, it let them be human. We're walking around like we got capes on, you know, and it's like, girl, please take that cape off because you are not a superwoman. Exactly. But that's hard to sort of rectify, especially when you're in a position in which people are expecting you to have all the answers. And I had no qualms of saying a lot of this. I'm like, I don't know, but we're going to do this because it makes sense for this moment. And tomorrow I may say something completely different. But 
To acknowledge that was a big deal, and I just feel so grateful that I found a person that could give me tools to sort of recalibrate myself and allow myself some time to reflect and just recoup, because I think I was going at 90 miles an hour every day and just was not allowing myself the time to just say, okay, I need my moment. And this is how I can do that because I don't know that I had those tools. I think about one of the defining moments for me was when I realized I could not go to the gym and I wasn't getting dressed every day and I wasn't dealing with any other human besides my husband. I needed to get just physically exerted. And like you, I wasn't sleeping or I was sleeping two or three hours a night thinking I could do this. I'm good. I'm good. And it was like, you are so not good. This is not effective. And so was there a defining moment or a period of time prior to the pandemic that helped you prepare for it unknowingly? Yeah, two things actually were really important. The first was I was on the debate team and you never knew which side of the argument you were going to be on. (laughs) And so you had to prepare really well to answer both sides and be convincing. So I think that helped me really come up with ways to be able to argue things and also to really think through the argument beforehand in a very short period of time. The second was really that we had a pandemic before this, and people don't remember it, but I do. (laughs) The H1N1 influenza had a lot of parallels to this. It started in Mexico, in theory. That's where it was first identified. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of fear. There was a new vaccine. There was a lot of talk about how this was going to impact schools and our workforce. And uh, we planned for what would have been the 1918 flu where everything would have shut down. It didn't happen, but we had to go through that. And there was a lot of questions and fear and anger and anxiety. And learning from that helped inform our decisions for this one. Again, this was a much larger magnitude, but we had a lot of that information lined up and we knew what had worked and what didn't work so well. I think about times where I was on stage and talking to a crowd of people. It was probably like almost 10 years ago where I was just starting my fitness journey. And I had gotten up in front of a room full of people. And at that time, I was close to 300 pounds. And I remember they had put a picture up of my much younger years. I was much slimmer then. They put this picture up and it was the wrong picture that I asked them to put up. And I knew it was the wrong picture because everybody was like, oh, right? That whole reaction. So it made me turn around and look. And I was like, you know what? I'm proud of that picture because that person had to endure a lot. This woman in front of you is still going through a lot. But make no mistake, it's not about the weight. You get up in front of people, be ready to own whatever it is, whether it is right or wrong, and understand and use the moment to teach even myself so that I am prepared for anything, anything that they put in front of me. That's absolutely right. And so I tell people, ironically, if I'm doing my job really well, nothing ever happens and you didn't know about it. It's so layered. It's so 
many pieces that you put together to keep somebody safe. And you're right, after the fact, we can still do things, but the horse is out of the barn. And that wasn't the goal. But you learn from that too. And that's okay. It's actually funny. My coworker, I told her this was the first big thing that she's had to deal with on this level. And I said, I'm telling you now, we're going to make a thousand mistakes, a thousand minimum. And she just looked at me like, what? <laughs> and she's like, we've done all this preparation and you're saying it's wrong? I said, we, we will learn quickly. We made a lot of mistakes. I said, the key to doing this well is own your mistake and move on. We will do what we can. We will do what we know. But at the end of the day, we can be wrong. We can be so wrong. And that's hard because it has consequences. And I think that's part of what got me into my sort of frenzied stress state. And sometimes I just would say, I don't know the answer, but I will find out or I'm going to do what I think is best under the circumstances. Yeah. Fear, when you embrace it, makes you a leader. When you run from it, you're a coward. I think acknowledging the fear is the key because then you can start to think through, but why am I scared? What is it that's driving this? And how can I change that? What am I in control of and what am I not in control of? And I think once again, you get to that acceptance of this is beyond my control. You can move on. One of my favorite prayers is the serenity prayer. And I think about that often where I just tell myself and the wisdom to know the difference. What can I change? What can I not change? And please, God, give me the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. And knowing the difference is where I feel like how you tackle fear. Right. No one has all the answers. I think that's the other thing that... I've recognized is I'm not someone who likes to ask for help. It's hard for me to ask for help. So my friends did it for me. They actually actually set up, I found out later, because I started recognizing a pattern. They they all set it up because they knew I wasn't going to call them. So they started calling me on a regular basis and they take turns and say, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. And they're like, how are you really? Yeah. And I'm like, I said I was fine. They're like, we don't believe you. And <laughs> talk to me. Right. That is good. Because sometimes we need to be pushed because we're so used to wearing that cape. So the people I work with, when we talk about resiliency, I think a lot of it is, again, working through those steps of what can you control? What can you not control? And can you let go of that? And how you look at the world can be changed by the way you look at the world. <laughs> it's all with you. It comes back to you. And that need to be self-compassionate and that need to allow yourself to be sad or angry or whatever it needs to be and find ways to be able to let that out. Do you need to see a sad movie? Mm-hmm. I need a good old-fashioned movie that's going to let me cry. And then I can just release that energy again. And some people exercise. I'm like, you need to go for a run mm-hmm. or go for a walk. Sometimes that's what we do during the day. I'm like, I'd see someone and I'd see that they were not quite right. I'm like, let's go for a walk. And sometimes we wouldn't even talk. Just Getting out of your environment for a few minutes, reset that bar and allow you to get through the rest of the day. Dealing with difficult things takes its toll, as you just said, on all of us. But knowing how to handle the tough times and learn from them, I think that's the things that help us to grow stronger and better able to cope with all the other challenges. It is the vulnerabilities that actually makes us stronger. Share some of the tips on how we can maintain our strength through those vulnerabilities. 
part of being authentic is being human. And we all know there is no one perfect person. That's right. And being able to sometimes just up front acknowledge and say, you know, I'm sad today. And sometimes I would walk into our office where I said, you know, I'm having a really bad day. This just really sucks. <laughs> and <laughs> having it. that frankness again, allowed everybody else to say, well, she's having a bad day. I can say I'm having a bad day too. Being vulnerable and allowing people to see that vulnerability is why people relate to you. And it wasn't because I was trying to be relatable. It's just I had to express it. And then you have that sense of community. Being in medicine, it's all about the community. It's not just me. It's the people I work with. It's the patients. It's the family. And we all have those shared experiences. Don't ever lose that. When you lose your ability to have that sense of compassion and that feeling, then maybe you shouldn't do this job anymore. belief that whatever you're feeling, sadness, grief, you have to allow yourself to feel it and go through it because it's going to manifest in another way. So when I was sad or wanted to cry, I allowed myself that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, let yourself feel this, go through it. And then I would just pick myself back up and, um, for myself, a lot of things that helped me is, I've, like I said, I've always been into fitness and working out. And I think that that helps whatever works for that person. If it's yoga, if it's walking, you know, I love being outdoors. I'm a big believer in getting outside, getting outdoors, because I think that helps mentally. Mental strength lets you carry on when the world seems to be coming down around you. This includes learning to keep your stressors and troubles in perspective, so they don't overwhelm you. Pamela was able to fight cancer and then lymphedema nine years later, in part by keeping things in perspective. As we heard, she allowed herself to feel sad and then told herself that it was temporary and that it would pass. She also exercised regularly and got outside as an outlet. Michelle, being able to maintain perspective is so very important and yet so hard to do. Practicing gratitude and positive self-talk are some techniques that people use. Do either of those work for you? Gratitude definitely does. Again, mom, practical and yet yes. seeing the color of the world all the time puts that in perspective for me where when I'm having those moments and I'm feeling sorry for myself or I'm feeling sad, I'll look at the sky and think, God, it's a beautiful shade of blue. Or how lucky am I to live where I can see the mountains? Or look how cute my dog is. Mm -hmm. How could anything be more perfect than this furry dog? <laughs> and I recognize that that is a privilege that I have. And mom drilled into us where she said, don't take for granted that you can walk, that yeah. you can speak, that you breathe without challenge, because there are people that don't have that privilege. So Enjoy it while you have it. And I think that is how I sort of remember. I'm grateful for all the things I have. And I can always whine about the things I don't have. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, what I have always outweighs what I don't. Your mother was spot on with the things we take for granted and some people cannot do. 
It is amazing the things we take for granted. And I love dogs, too, by the way. (laughs) It is so, so very true. Now, you mentioned that you also got tips from a mental health professional. As a doctor, your whole focus in many ways is on others. And I imagine it can be hard to focus on yourself and your needs when you're so used to having it the other way around. And yet it's so important to focus on your needs because it's always about giving, giving, giving. Was it hard for you to prioritize you? Oh, gosh, yes. Mm -hmm. When we started our sessions, the first thing she did was draw a circle. She said, pretend it's a pie and cut out pieces of the pie for things that you consider important or you're working on or prioritizing. And so, you know, I cut out the pie and marked off work, my family, blah, blah, blah. This is on Zoom, which is actually not a bad thing, but still. So I show her the picture and she said, where are you? And I said, what do you mean, where am I? Where are you in the pie? And I said, I'm in all of the pie. She said, no, we're just you, nothing but you. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you need to be part of the pie. I'm like, I don't have time to be part of the pie. (laughs) And she said, this is never going to work unless you agree to be part of the pie. And I said, fine. She's like, how about half the pie? (laughs) I said, no, I'm not doing that. And she's like... A quarter? I'm like, no, I'll give you an eighth. And <laughs> it's ludicrous what I said. This was the conversation we were having. Yeah. She said, fine, an eighth for now. I said, no, an eighth forever. And she's like, let's work on the eighth. Uh-huh. I said, okay, fine, I'll take an eighth. And now, like I say, I think about that conversation. <laughs> I don't know how she just didn't reach through the computer it's and shake me <laughs> and say, you're here for a reason. I'm supposed to be helping you, but you won't be willing to help yourself. And that was reflection on that. Yeah, the things that I learned was, again, allowing myself some self-compassion, mm-hmm. uh, taking off the cape, mm-hmm. recognizing I have needs, I have things I have to focus on just for me that no one else. And then tools, like in my day, my team was laughing because I tend to be high energy. And we were doing an exercise of like getting to know each other better. And it was something you would never think about me. And I said, I meditate. They're like, Michelle meditates? (laughs) What? (laughs) She can't be quiet more than five seconds. But I do. And uh, I actually, during the day, if I'm finding that I'm getting to a point of overstimulation, Mm -hmm. I'll pop on a little music or I respond really well to water sounds for some Mm. reason. And that sound of water rushing just makes me feel at peace. So sometimes I'll just pop in my earbuds, take a couple deep breaths, listen to that, and it just resets my brain. It's like five minutes. And sometimes it's water sounds. Sometimes it's heavy metal blaring in my car as loud as I can make it without breaking my eardrums. (laughs) And both have their value in that moment. And it allows me to just release. Sometimes I will just go sit in my car. It's short, but it's powerful because that's the impact. It's like, okay, I can take two minutes, five minutes to just take a breath and release or calm or whatever I need at that moment. Do you always feel like there is pressure to look strong and tough and not let a lot of people know you're struggling, especially as a woman in a position of power and authority? I can't say I do. I think I use it as my weapon. I tell people, I said, 
When you're up front, it takes away the power of somebody over you because you already acknowledged it. So you owned it. You're telling your version of your truth. And I think that's the key is that when you're dealing with all this stuff all the time, setting some boundaries or expectations for others can help them. I know for me, going through the pandemic was easier when I could check in with friends. And I know that that was a support system. They say prioritizing relationships is one of the strategies to help build emotional and mental strength. I know you talked earlier about people calling you and saying, no, how are you really? Really pushing you. Has that been a tremendous lifeline for you? Yes, absolutely. Because I am a very good listener, And the caregiver in me usually kicks in. As I'm listening, I'm thinking, hmm, what do I need? And this was something my therapist and I worked with. She's like, wow, so you're meanwhile obviously dealing with all this stuff, but you're checking in with everybody else, but you forget to check in on you. Now, it's my understanding that you have a special little routine that you do with the dog and your husband when it comes to maintaining your resiliency. Do share. Yeah, so... When I get home, usually the first thing I do is acknowledge the dog because it kind of takes over the world. So what does that mean? Licking and hugging and rubbing (laughs) bellies and all that? Uh, It's giving him a treat and then he's got some hurting tendencies. So it's (laughs) getting into my workout clothes so we can go for a walk. And then the dog and I have uh, very one-sided conversations in which I tell him all about my day. He seems to understand and appreciate that. And it's really great, actually, because it resets me. It's like we're outside, and he has his routine of where we're going, and and it allows me to process how my day went. And then when I am finally home and will fully acknowledge my husband, because <laughs> usually the dog literally takes over. And so um, then uh, he'll be like, oh, how are you? How was your day? And then if I have something that I need problem solving, my husband's an engineer, and has a wonderful way of being able to sort of go through this process of like, you know, all the second and third and fourth order effects of things and can help me process map. Mm -hmm. We joke that he's great if you're doing a mortgage, he's terrible for figuring out dinner. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to ask him for that (laughs) because you'll get a long list of possibilities. (laughs) But it is very valuable when I'm struggling with something to have him sort of map it out for me out loud. And then I'm like, that's the one I Mm -hmm, want. mm -hmm. It really makes a huge, huge difference. Pamela talked to me about how she set goals for herself and made plans that kept her going when things were hard. For example, she explained that she and her husband had moved away from Colorado when she first found out about her cancer, but they eventually decided to move back, which gave her something to look forward to. Now, goal setting can be really helpful for some people in maintaining mental resilience in tough times. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's why we do what we do, right? You want to get to the next step, right? the next phase, whatever it is. And sometimes that's a long time to get there. Yeah. Sometimes you change course and reset goals. And I think that's okay. I think that's the key is that if you set a goal, it doesn't have to be permanent. And 
it may change because you've changed along the way. We sometimes forget who we are right now may not be who we are tomorrow because right. something may happen. And that goal maybe needs to change with you. Now, although we're in the midst of a pandemic, this is not going to be the last pandemic. But what is one of the biggest takeaways, the lessons that you will take with you as we move forward? From a professional standpoint, I would say you can't communicate enough. And you have to remember that you can't communicate enough (laughs) in every which way you could think of because everybody responds differently to different types of messages. And you may be saying the exact same thing, but if it's in print versus hearing it from your voice versus there's so many ways to do that. And then from a personal standpoint, It's, again, about just remembering that I have to be part of the pie, that I have to take care of me or I can't take care of anybody else. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your stories. Very powerful and fun. Oh, it's been a delight. Thank you. Absolutely. It has been. So to sum up the top five takeaways for developing mental resiliency, they are have some self-compassion and allow yourself to feel sad exercise and practice self-care, you know, that pie, more than one eighth. (laughs) And do not be afraid to ask for help and lean on friends and be open to getting professional help if necessary. That's a good thing. Arm yourself with the facts so you can be prepared and know what to ask your doctor. And focus, focus, focus on what you can control. Let the rest go. No question. To follow up on today's episode, you can check out our show notes at uchealth.org forward slash every, and every is spelled E-V-R-E. To find out more about today's expert, you can visit uchealth.org. Thank you for joining us. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and iHeartRadio Podcast. And to find out more about our subject today, you can visit us at uchealth.org forward slash every. Every is produced by UC Health.